This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm your host, Christina Young, and today we're speaking with a Jaguar scientist who left science to become an advocate for change. My name is Sergio Avila. Uh, I use pronouns he, him. I am coming to you from the ancestral lands of Tohono O'odham and Yoeme people in uh, what's known as Southern Arizona. Sergio works as the local outdoor program coordinator in the Southwest with the Sierra Club. But before that, he was a researcher studying the desert ecosystems in Mexico and along the border wall in Southern Arizona. After growing up in Mexico, Sergio came to the United States where he saw striking differences in the makeup and attitudes of the scientific community. When I came here, uh, some of the similarities was that I had a degree, that I understood science, that I understood conservation science. In that way, in that case, I was very similar to scientists here. What was different is that scientists in conservation are uh, at a very high rate white Caucasian scientists. Um, and with this, uh, there is a, a narrow vision with, by being of a specific or narrow ethnicity. Um, there is a narrow vision and narrow values of conservation of nature and also um, the perpetuating of Euro-American narratives of pristine wilderness where people uh, are not in the picture, where people are not considered as part of the environment. It just happens that most of those people not part of the environment are people of color, are indigenous people uh, who have lived in this in this continent for, for centuries and so for millennia. And so one of the things that was very, very clear to me is that I grew up with the understanding, the Western science understanding of conservation. And when I came to the United States because of my identity, I could see that I fit as a scientist but I did not fit as an indigenous person, as a person of color. Could you give some examples of kind of what what that looked like? What did you see happening around you? One of the most widespread uh, issues that I have noticed is how the uh, white uh, conservation community continues to glorify certain role models, certain people who spoused uh, racist views. So for example, in the United States, anyone knows who John Muir or Rachel Carson or Aldo Leopold um, are, and they call them their heroes. Uh, But no one knows heroes, uh, no one knows scientists of color, nobody knows community leaders, uh, authors or decision makers who are not white. And so people don't read books by non-white people or very, very little. And so people think uh, that the words of John Muir or Ed Abbey are the true inspiration to protect nature, ignoring very, very strong uh, quotes. For example, I will read a quote from John Muir. Quote, A strangely dirty and irregular life these dark-eyed, dark-haired, half-happy savages lead in this otherwise clean wilderness. Those are the words of John Muir. That is how John Muir judged indigenous communities in the places that he was visiting. The places that he actually thought were clean as wilderness, but were 
dirty and irregular because of the people who live there. And when conservation groups, small or big, continue glorifying John Muir and continue glorifying the words and the inspiration of people like John Muir and Ed Abbey, they are missing the point that these um, role models have had an impact on certain populations. Today, as we are fighting a border wall that is absolutely racist, a border wall that has given uh, a voice to people to discriminate and to oppress on, on, on people of color, uh, today we have quotes like this one I'm going to read from Ed Abbey. Quote, It might be wise for us as American citizens to consider calling a halt to the mass influx of even more millions of hungry, ignorant, unskilled, and culturally, morally, genetically impoverished people. Because we prefer democratic government, for one thing, because we still hope for an open, uncrowded, and beautiful society, not another. The alternative, cruelty and corruption of Latin America, is plain for all to see. The means of stopping immigration are available. It's a simple technical military problem. So a lot of people in Moab, Utah, and in Tucson, Arizona, where we both are, glorify John Muir as an inspiration, as a leader in the environmental movement, as somebody who helped preserve a lot of public lands. And we choose to ignore that also Ed Abbey had to say very strong, oppressive, bigotry words like hungry, ignorant, unskilled, and culturally, morally, genetically impoverished people. Well, I come from those people. I am those people, and I am a scientist, and I am a, a, a law-abiding citizen. And so it is time for conservation uh, groups, organizations, academics, scientists to stop glorifying these words because they hurt other people. They have an impact on communities of color who are usually left out of the scientific world. But I have also experienced personal incidents in which my identity as a person of color has had to do uh, with law enforcement. I have been in groups of wilderness advocates. I have been in scientific conferences. I, I have been in field trips. I have been in many different instances with scientists, with conservationists, where law enforcement only aims at asking me for questions, asking me for documentation. Why am I crossing the border? Why am I researching pygmy owls in the borderlands? Why am I interested in jaguars? And scientists stand on the side without stepping up or saying anything. So I personally have felt um, being left alone when it is about my identity, when it is about cultural values, when it is about having English as a second language. And those events, which are many, um, have led me to a point where um, I don't want to be associated with conservation scientists. And I, in fact, want to change the narrative of conservation science. To change the narrative, Sergio and others work to help people change ingrained ways of thinking that are based in colonial and racist ideas that many people don't even realize they have. 
Decolonizing is a practice, is, a, is an idea of transformation, self-transformation. I cannot help anybody else if I haven't helped myself and learned the things that I have to learn. So I every day beyond science work to decolonize my brain, decolonize my stomach and decolonize my heart in order to uh, have different values and understand that there is room for other values that are not only the Western society values that I actually also grew up with in Mexico. So in this idea of decolonizing science, it means that we can make room for other types of knowledge that are not necessarily the Western science that we know, but instead we could broaden the vision uh, in order to understand what traditional ecological knowledge is and how traditional ecological knowledge is also science. It also comes from repetition and observation and experimentation. It might not be written in peer-reviewed papers, but traditional ecological knowledge is what has allowed indigenous communities uh, to survive throughout millennia in this, in this continent and in many other places. And it's only a way to expand the way that we understand the natural world. Similarly, I think in part of decolonizing science, we have a very strong connection with the written word, with peer-reviewed publications. Uh, scientists care a lot about um, being published. And uh, even though those publications are not read by the, by the general public, by the public, those publications stay within the circle of science. I think we would do a lot more to understand that um, by using our privilege of knowledge and, and sharing that knowledge with other people, also being open to, to get knowledge from other people. We take away knowledge from just the classroom or just from the book, and instead we start collecting knowledge through experience, through stories, through learning of uh, origin stories of other people, through food, through food sovereignty. And so I think that uh, there is something to say about scientists being open to learn in a different way. It does not take away from science and instead it brings in new values to our knowledge and to the decisions that we might be making based on that knowledge. So a lot of what you're talking about might feel uncomfortable to people who are in Western science right now thinking about the role of of a scientist in, in Western culture is very objective and apolitical and just presenting information. Um, what, what would you say to that, to those, to those thoughts about uh, what scientists are supposed to do? First, I would say embrace the discomfort because uh, the discomfort makes us grow. When we only think about success in our life, our, our learning opportunities are very minimal. When we embrace failure, when we are uh, uncomfortable, then uh, we can be open to learn something new. So if what you are hearing is uncomfortable, embrace it. Um, embrace it because you will learn something. And in terms of scientists, something that I have seen and experienced personally is this idea that scientists must be neutral or, or not have any political positions. Uh, and it's, that's just based on comfort. You know, we have a political position when we accept money from certain foundations. We have a, a position, we are not neutral when we accept money from banks. 
that might be that might be supporting uh, industry that we don't like to support. So scientists need to get comfortable at speaking up not only from their brain, but from their heart and have a position on the issues, especially issues where the livelihood of other people are at stake. And in this case, when uh, our willingness to not connect political positions with our science uh, is not broken, then we are impacting many times, many times we are impacting the communities where we work. We are impacting our uh, study site. We are impacting our location by not defending it. For example, uh, there was a scientist here at the University of Arizona who received funding from the Department of Homeland Security to study jaguars and to study the impact of the border wall on jaguars. The funding was about $700,000 and it was for three years. So it is significant funding, but it's not that great. After the three years of this research, uh, this scientist was presenting the results. And the first question from the audience was, does the border wall affect jaguars? And this scientist said, I cannot answer that question because it's political and because I received my funding from the Department of Homeland Security. See, so then these scientists benefited from the funding, benefited from the research, published several papers, but was not willing to take a position based on what they studied at the border. The answer to the question was yes, border walls affect today and will affect in the future the natural movement of jaguars. But if scientists want to hold neutral positions, then we are separating ourselves from communities. We are separating ourselves from our research. And basically, this we're doing a disservice to those communities, human and natural communities that we are trying to protect. What type of mentors and role models did you have as a scientist? Well, first off, I had the privilege of having growing up with my parents, with both my parents. My parents are scientists. My parents are medical doctors that as I grew up, uh, I saw them work uh, both together, had like eight or nine jobs. Uh, and they didn't have nine jobs because we needed money so much, but it was because they loved their work. I saw them working for the most marginalized people. I saw them as university professors. I saw my father as a union leader. I saw my mother as an anatomy and neuroanatomy um, uh, university professor. And they taught me uh, what it is to be a scientist and what it is to be a scientist that applies their knowledge to serve people. Um, but I also have role models here in the United States. There is this wonderful conservationist, a person who, as a decision maker and an elected position, uh, speaks on behalf of the environment and the marginalized communities most affected by climate change. And I am talking about Congressman Raul Grijalva of Arizona. Raul Grijalva is the chairman of the Natural Resources Committee in the House of Representatives in the United States. Raul Grijalva is a Latino man uh, with whom I personally identify. And 
because of uh, his his being a role model in conservation. Um, I decided to become a U.S. citizen because I could see that uh, there are people that inspire me. There are people that look like me. There are people that speak like me, that have very similar family values in places where we grew up. And I am very proud to have role models uh, who are not scientists, not uh, published authors, and yet have a very positive impact in our community. In a similar way, um, academics can start sharing uh, textbooks, uh, research, and other type of publications that are from people of color. I think universities, academics, professors need to put more energy in finding new role models. We need to learn about current people of color making a difference on climate change, making a difference addressing uh, pollution or making a difference addressing uh, um, oil and gas extraction. And so that way we are fostering a new generation that will grow with role models that really represent their communities. And this way we will start uh, sharing a broader scope of role models of people of color who are making a difference today and who made a difference 10 years ago and who made a difference 15 years ago in conservation and in science. I want to take a moment to recognize um, you are a role model also. You know, you've put yourself out there in lots of ways and you're serving as a role model now. I was wondering what you would like to say to the next generation thinking about science and conservation and just uh, humanity. Thank you, Christina. Uh, what I like to say to, to youth and including myself 20, 30 years ago is don't try to be like somebody else. Don't imitate. Don't try to fit in. And instead, be who you are and understand that you belong wherever you are. If you are in a challenging career, in a challenging uh, university, college career, you belong there. If you are um, working in a place where you don't see other people like you, be yourself, you belong there. If you are um, working for land sovereignty, if you are working to preserve your culture, you belong doing that. Don't try to be somebody else. So what I like to say is understand the difference between belonging and fitting in. If you are a person of color, you belong in this land. You belong in the institutions in this country. You belong in this country. You did not come from somewhere else. You belong here. You have a history here. And if you are a white person, make sure to understand the difference between belonging and fitting in. So you make sure to make room for people who want to feel that they belong in your space, who want to feel that they are part of your space instead of feeling that they have to fit in. Uh, and uh, similarly, I also like to say people look for your role models, but don't forget that you are also a role model, that there's Younger people looking at you, looking at your struggle, looking at your accomplishments and uh, navigate life thinking in both directions. You are uh, an ancestor in training and you are a role model for those younger uh, than you. Well, thank you so much for this conversation and for your time. And we really value everything you've shared with us. Thank you so much. 
To learn more or listen to more Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab Media is by Sophia Fisher. Newsletter is by Rhonda Cook. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding. And the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.